They stood naked and shivering in the damp morning chill as other women, newly purchased, joined them. They weren't slaves with a span of months or years ahead of them. They were the women of a people being punished for spurning Rome. Driven on foot from Thrace, abused over every mile to see Roman might for themselves. Men went to the arena to die fighting in it. Their women, she was told, were to go to the arena as well, but not to fight, just to die. The morning of the day this was to happen, slavers roused them from the holding pen they had been housed in for several days. She didn't know it then, but she was in the ludus of Gnaeus Cornelius Lentulus Vatia, encumbered by chains and stiff from so long sitting immobile. Sura stumbled on the uneven paving stones of the city's streets. She had never seen a city so large, so choked with humans living piled on top of one another. There was nothing like this place in all of Thrace. They were taken to a great arena, a structure several stories high. Gardens of flowering plants surrounded it, pools of water with walkways between them. This was the moment she felt the filthiest, beside clear water and living plants the fragrance of flowers floating on the air and the low hum of the insects that worked among them. It was the first place of beauty she had seen in the city, but it was a lie. They descended into a gaping mouth that led down into a network of tunnels under the arena, corridors full of wretched, chained, barely human things. The guards stuffed them in with others and left them. It was a long wait, long enough for her to think of many ways she might be killed. As if to help her visions of torture, a voice began speaking in Greek, a language she knew. She couldn't tell where among the bodies he was, but could hear him clearly enough. He said that once he had seen a funeral game in Rome. That one began with stunted men pretending to fight over a stunted woman. The men chased one another around the arena, dodging things thrown by the crowd, looking ridiculous with their wooden swords. In the end, the men joined forces and attacked the woman. A crowd like that, the voice said. Sura tried not to listen to him, but her mind took in pieces of what he said. Images of the condemned tied to posts, whipped until they were raw, almost insensible, Slaves hunted by leopards and lions, others doused in oil and set afire. Men made to fight without armor, each slash or thrust cutting deep. And then a guard was yelling at them. Sura didn't understand his Latin, but it didn't matter. He yanked their chains and dragged them into motion. Other men joined him, men who had leave to kick and punch the women. They were shoved through the corridors, up a sloping ramp, and through a series of gates. Animal scents assaulted her, making the hairs on her arms and back prickle. A beast, somewhere nearby, roared over and over again. She wondered if that would be the thing that killed her. They spilled out on the hot sand. Blinded by the sudden brightness, for a time she could see nothing. She could hear, though. Voices, shouts, applause. Eyes adjusting, the sight of so many people dizzied her. 
The bowl of the arena was an enormous mouth, and each of those heads was one of the creature's teeth. They were inside a monster. This was its maw. This was where it fed and where she was meant to die. Surely she would have, if not for a starer. Sura's on her knees with her sister's blood on her palms when she hears a voice. The goddess heard you, it says, heard and answered. Epta starts. The voice is disembodied. In the blackness it seems to come from the air itself, but Sura knows it's just Astera arriving as she said she would. Touch my hand, Astera says. All three women clutch at Astera's hand, which she has thrust through the bars, until Spartacus appears, holding a small lamp. This is the man whom Astera saw in a dream before she saw him in waking life.